We're going to be reading from uh, the book of Judges this morning, Judges chapter 3. If you want to turn there with me, Judges chapter 3 again, the verse, first six verses. Um, and this is going to set, I just want to set a bit of context. So Judges um, chapter 3 this morning, just the first three verses. In our text this morning, Israel has come a long way. They have seen great things done by God, both among them and through them. So I want you to think of that. Israel has went on a great journey, as you have, as our, our forefathers who went before us have went on. They have known great victories. They have known defeats and challenges in their life, but ultimately they've known the victories of God. Joshua and the generation that, that, that found these great victories and the conquests, they stood against the enemy. And this we're coming out of that, out of a season where Israel gained much ground for the Lord. They went into the promised land and they scattered and they cast out and the enemies of God, they've seen great victory. And this generation has since moved on now. Joshua has died, the generation that followed him has died and the generation after them has now risen up. So that's the context of what we're about to go into. And as time moved on with these mighty men passed on to glory, the old enemy of Israel once again began to influence the people of God. Now, if you need to get this. This is a, the setting of what we're going to be looking at. And all of a sudden, we read that things are all wrong. That's what happens in our life when the enemy, we allow the enemy in. Things begin to go all wrong. Amen? You notice that in your life? When we're not walking the path we're meant to be or we allow things into our life, things go all wrong. Well, Israel is all wrong at this point. And Julie spoke, mentioned this morning, this is what it says in Judges chapter 2. After that generation, which is Joshua's generation, died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord. They forgot God. Neither did they remember the mighty things that he had done for them. What I see here, as a result, the people of God forgot how to fight. How to fight. I, I, I'm thankful for the day and hour the Lord saved me. If you knew the paths that I seen and the paths that I walked on, and I, I suspect if I knew some of your paths where we once walked, when we lived in the darkness, and thank God. And it was, it was said here this morning that, that we would be a thankful people, and it was prayed out in that room this morning, Lord, would you just, we just thank you. We just thank you for the salvation, for what you've done for us, you know? So God is speaking this morning that, that maybe he's telling us to be not just watchful, but thankful for what he's done. But this generation, they forgot um, how to fight and stand against the, the enemy, it's having its way with her. But God's people are about to be trained for battle. And this training would come from the wicked nations that are left among them. Do you know the sin you wrestle with in your life? Well, God uses that to train you in godliness. He's allowed that to stay for now, to train us to stand up, to rise up, and to have victory. And I know you might find that hard to believe, but that's what the Scripture teaches. And I'm going to actually bring it out to you this morning in our text as we're reading. So, the training of the Lord. Let us read together. I'm reading from the NIV. Now, Judges chapter 3, first, first six verses. Now, these are the nations that the Lord left to test. Maybe your Bible says to prove. This word means to train. When you look at this word, that's what it means. So, these are the nations the Lord left to train all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. Now, listen. He did this to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not previously had battle experience. 
So that's the generation that rose up. It's possibly our generation. We, we've forgotten the freedoms that we have come at a great cost. Um, the, the, the reason we're able to have church today without the police or the guards taking the door down is because of the freedoms that has been fought for in this land. Now listen to what it says. Now these are Israel's lifelong enemies. And these are the enemies that God's going to use to train Israel for battle, for godliness. And these same enemies are the enemies of the church. So here they are, the five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath. They were left to test Israelite. They were left to test the Israelites and to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their forefathers through Moses. Now the Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Amen. So the eight enemies lived among Israel are the same eight enemies of the church. Now, I want to bring this out to you again this week, because if we understand our enemy, we will recognize its influence in our life. And it will surprise you just how much you will recognize these spiritual things, these attacks in your own life. So the names of Israel's enemies each have a spiritual meaning. If we understand this, we will, we will discern, and it will help you in your calling church to rise up and shine for Christ. It'll help me in my calling to rise up and shine for Christ. So, so facing our enemies is the title this last two weeks, a year of courage and a year of faith. Because it takes courage to stand up against the enemy. So the first enemy, have we went through? Sorry, the, the last ones I haven't been looking at the screen. Have we done the first four? So Well, if you need them, we can send them to you, <laughs> the best road. So that's the first four. You can take photographs or you can request them afterwards. The first one was the Philistine spirit, and that means the wallow. The second one was the, the Canaanite spirit. Uh, this was a merchant. It, 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 it's a mindset, if you like, of going to church simply for what you can get out of it. It's a spiritual mindset. Uh, the Canaanites did this, went in the land. They didn't care about the land. All they wanted to do was take from it, you see? They didn't want anything. They didn't care about the natives, the people. All they wanted is to take, to take. And, and that's a spiritual thing. The third enemy was the Hittite spirit. This spirit represents the spirit of fear. Their name means terror. So the spirit of fear, it seeks to close your mouth as the people of God, so you will be afraid to speak about the things of God. The fourth enemy was the Amorite spirit. This one causes the church to talk the walk, but not walk the talk. Um, and we all could be at times guilty of this, but this is a spirit that, that causes the, the people of God to make big boasts, but not to really follow through in, on their boasts. Now, today we're going to do the last four, and we're going to start with the fifth enemy, which is the, 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 Hivites, the Hivites, Hivites spirit, and, or sorry, the Hivites, and that's slide number five. So the word Hivite, or Hivite, means a villager. The, the Amorite spirit causes the church to be boastful. That's what we looked at last week, to, to walk the walk, but not to talk the talk. But the, the Amorites, they were all words, or sorry, they were all words, but no action. But now the Hevi spirit, it was very different. It causes the church to put herself down. Now, you will see this in your life. This spirit it causes the church to, to believe that God can't use her, can't use her. It's called the villager mentality. Small town mindset is 
Who am I with all these other cities around me? So look at all who we are, but look at, the, look at that big town up there. We, who are we? We're just a wee village. We Scots town. Do you understand what that, that's, that, that village of mentality is? Who am I? Who will listen to me? We've seen it with Moses. I am just an ordinary man, a small villager. It's likened to fear of the Hittite spirit, but I want to say this to you, church. It's worse than fear. Well, why is it worse than fear? Well, fear stops a man or woman from doing what they know they can do for God. That's what fear does. You know that you can do something for God, but because of fear, you don't want to do it. You don't want to take a chance in case it doesn't work out for you. That's fear. You know you can do something, but you don't, right? That's what fear does. But the Hevi spirit, it's worse. It causes the people to believe that they can do nothing. Nothing. And that's worse. It's better to know that you can do something for the Lord or something in life with the Lord with you than to think that you can do nothing. And there's many people live today in the house of God with that mindset. It makes you believe that you're worthless in the kingdom of God. And this is a spiritual thing. And if you believe that this morning, know that that's not of God. That's not who we are. If every Christian lived like this, the church would be dead. There'd be no light, no witness. There'd be nobody arising up. And church, we must not live with this mindset. And we all feel it at times. We all have this influence in our lives, whispers into our ears, to make us feel worthless in the kingdom of God. So the, the Hevi spirit, it, it, it whispers the word into our ear, smallness, smallness. Have you ever heard that whispered into your ear? Smallness. That's not of God. That's a distraction. It's a counterfeit. It's a lie over your life. Smallness. And I wonder here this morning, as we consider these enemies of Israel, have you ever felt small in your life? Have you ever felt totally insignificant in this room, in this great assembly? That's the spirit. That's not of God. Believe in you have nothing to bring to the table. Well, if you do, this is the work of the the Hevi spirit, it's the enemy of God's people, and it makes the church feel small and insignificant. But now, the name Hivite has a deeper meaning. I just want to say I'm, I'm spending a wee bit more time on this first one. It's a deeper meaning as well. Now, you really need to stay with me on this or it could be challenging for you. The Hebrew word for Hevite is Chav, Chava. Now, Chava is the original version for the name of Eve, the first woman, Adam and Eve. And Eve's name means life or all living. All living. Now, the, the high vice spirit, it first makes the people of God feel small, insignificant, unable to serve the, the Lord, right? After it does that, after it tells you you're small, it encourages all believers to then live it up in the world. Do you see? Do you see a pattern in your heart? To neglect their kingdom duties. You're, you've no place, you've no worth here. You're just here to, you're to, you've nothing to bring to the table, so you might as well go and live it up in the world. You see? And it causes the church then, well, its aim is to cause the church to pursue happiness and purpose outside of Christ. Do you see how that spirit works? Do you see that spirit in your own life? This spirit is best seen perhaps in the prodigal son. Because when I considered him, did this boy not feel that he had no place and no value in his father's house? So he turned his eyes towards that great lights of the city, didn't he, the world? He thought, I have no place here with the father, so I'm going to go to the world, I'm going to live it up. Is that not the same spirit? 
and he headed for the far country, and there he lived it up with all his money. He gathered many friends, and when the money ran out, his friends ran out, and suddenly all his freedom began to feel like a prison cell, because that's what that spirit wants to do, imprison you, that you don't rise up and shine for the glory of God. Living it up wasn't all that he thought it was going to be. And the scripture tells us that when he was all spent, he ended up, and when he ended up in the pig pen, he realized that living it up was a deception, and it was a lion's spirit, and he ended up broken and lost. That's the, the work of this spirit. And when he came to his senses, he returned home, and we know that the Father, of course, welcomed him, and in his grace restored him and his glory to him. That's the love of God. But church, be careful of the Hivite spirit. It will make you feel small and insignificant in the kingdom of God. It will then cause you to look to the world for purpose. It will entice you to live and find everything outside of Christ, not in Him. To live it up in the world and neglect your calling to arise and shine. And then lead you like the prodigal down a road of destruction. Now, the saddest thing about this Spirit's work is this. It causes the church, the believers who are called by God to do great exploits, to live a life of smallness. How sad. How sad. Isn't it? How sad. The banner that some people carry is, yes, I'm a child of God, but I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. That's not of God, church. That's an enemy of Israel. That's an enemy of the church. And what we do this morning is we rebuke it in Jesus' name. We recognize its attack and we recognize its influence, and we, we, we rebuke it, and we rise up, and we go on for God. Amen? So the, second, uh, the next spirit is this, the, the Perizzites. Uh, the word Perizzite means villagers in the open country. It's quite similar in meaning uh, to smallness. The, the villager mindset, mindset of the Perizzites is that of limited vision. The limited vision, do you see that in your own heart as a woman or a man of God? And what happens with limited vision is this, stagnation. When we lose our vision, we become stagnant in our walk with God, again an enemy, the attack of the enemy. One commentator said this, the Perizzite spirit causes a church to stagnate. It is characterized by low self-esteem, by limited vision to life, and spiritually crippled and dependent people. That's the work of this spirit. Isn't it amazing to see this? the meaning of it. This spirit affects the spiritual vision, uh, vision of the church. Now, the, the Perizzites lived it up in the, in the country, uh, the open country, which is a village without walls. Now, this is how they lived their life, a village without walls. And what this does, if you look into it, th this spirit seeks to cause the church to be open to all things. Uh, no boundaries in your life. And we're starting to see a generation live like that where, where all things is acceptable. You know, under a banner of what? Love. All things is acceptable. Don't believe it. Uh, it's a lie. It, the church is certainly not open to all, all things. The Lord Jesus Christ most certainly was not open to all things. Uh, not one bit. The, the teachings of the, the church, the early church, it's certainly not open to open all things. That hall who named the Lord Jesus Christ depart from all iniquity, in fact, is one of the teachings of, of the church. But this is the spirit that seeks to cause the church to be open to all things, to have no uh, boundaries and no moral compass. Now, one sign of this spirit at work in the world is a lack that we're seeing of, of self-discipline 
in the lives of adults in the world. We're, we're seeing it. I don't need to go into it in detail. If you can't discern it, you're just simply not looking. Grown men and grown women acting like complete and utter fools and, and believing this is how they're to act and live. No self-discipline at all to take captive any of their thoughts. An undisciplined life in the church is a life without walls. We've looked at Nehemiah in the past and how the broken walls around Jerusalem were broken and the enemy was able to just walk in and out of Jerusalem. Just it was in ruins and it was trampled. That's some Christian's lives here this morning. There's people of God are, are living a life and, and the enemy's just having a field deal with them. And, and the Lord's saying, listen, you need to build up walls around your life. Do you not know who you are? You're a child of God. You're precious. You're blood-bought. And the enemy's having this field deal with you. You need to build boundaries around your life. Because this is a spirit that, that seeks to pull down the walls. Now, God's people under Nehemiah, with Nehemiah, they started to rebuild the walls. And what happened was they were, they were restoring her witness and her beauty. And that's what happens, Christian, when we rebuild boundaries. We restore our witness for God. And there's a beauty comes upon the sinner's life all of a sudden. What Israel, or what Nehemiah also did was when by building these walls was he was keeping the enemy outside the camp, which is sin, keeping sin outside of our camp and bringing back order into that holy city, which is Jerusalem. And we're the temple of God. We're a holy city. And when we build walls, we bring order and discipline and, 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 and that witness into our, into our city. Solomon said this in, in Proverbs 25, who Ever has no rule over his spirit is like a city broken down without walls, you see? So we need to rule our, our kingdoms. We need to build walls and have boundaries. This spirit seeks to pull down all the boundaries of the people of God. But church, let us rebuild and restore that which needs rebuilt and restored. Spirits of walls around our life. Some Christians need to bring order back into their holy city. Rebuild and strengthen the walls in your life. Keep sin at bay and outside of the camp. Protect our witness and we will arise and shine. Do you see this? Keep outside the, the smallness of mindset that we can easily carry about ourselves and keep going on for the Lord. Amen? Amen? So the next one is the Sidonians. The Sidonians. Now, this is a smaller one, but its meaning is none less significant. Sidonians means hunting. The word means to hunt. This reminds us that we are in a battle and that we are being hunted. That's some word to say. We're being hunted. Well, the Bible warns us very clearly that that, in fact, is the truth. And Paul warns the church in 1 Peter 5 about our adversary, adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There is a picture of being hunted. Now, we need not, we not fear this type of talk. We're, we're, we're educating ourselves of, of the work of the enemy and how it seeks to stop you and I, and indeed the church, rising up and going on with the Lord. Now, this spirit, what it does, it sets traps, and it seeks to cause the church to fall into sin. Now, there's many examples in Scripture that I could have used, but one of the, the most simplest ones was Samson. Consider Samson. Um, he led Israel for over 20 years. This man was set apart as a Nazarite. He took vows. He was set apart for the work of God. But he allowed the allurement of sin to cause him to fall. That's the danger of this enemy, this spirit. This, this spirit causes men and women to sin, but the most prominent 
tool that it uses to, to cause men to, and women to, to, to sin is sexual sin. That's the most prominent. And, and Samson, we know, was a, a womanizer. And listen, he loved the attention. And therefore, he was an easy target. Be careful of that within you if you have it. Don't want to call it a womanizer or what, but we all like a wee flirt. Isn't that right? Well, Samson loved a wee flirt. Yeah? Some of you girls are laughing, all the boys are acting all very stiff. You know, I think us men can flirt too, you know. It mightn't be as good, maybe, but be careful of this. Be careful of this. Womanizer is what Samson was, and the enemy used that weakness in him. Used that weakness. I want to bring it back a wee bit serious now. And many great men of God has fallen. Many spiritual giants fell to that spiritual giant of lust. You know, this is a real thing. And be careful of this in your life. Samson fell to this spirit. And we can go uh, deeper with this spirit because this, this spirit has got other meanings. For instance, Jezebel, the famous Jezebel, she came from Sidon. She is known for leading her husband astray and into sin. And I want to say this, men can also lead their wives astray and into sin. It just happened to be Jezebel. There's a lot of talk about a Jezebel spirit, but listen, let's just listen to what she did. She led her husband into sin and a nation into idolatry and sexual immorality. The Sidonian spirit, it hunts the people of God. It sets snares that tries to cause them to fall into sin. Listen to what it does, especially in this generation. It promotes sexual immorality and idolatry. Its main goal is to devour that which shines for Christ, to corrupt the church and to destroy her witness and therefore her light. Now, a few scriptures on that. Ephesians 4, Paul tells the church this. Put off your former way of life. If you were a womanizer, grow up, put it off. Put it off. You're not 16 anymore unless you are, of course. Put off your former way of life, your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Hebrews 12, throw everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race which is marked out for us. Romans 13, the night is nearly over. The day has drawn near, so let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. You see, there's an armor, a light that we carry on it and a light for the Lord. So rise and shine, our word was, for the glory of the Lord is upon you. Now lastly, the Jebusite spirit. He's okay, still with me? If you're sleeping, put your hand up. He's all right. This teaching will change your life, church. You get it into you, I promise you. This will change your life. Not because I'm a profound Bible teacher. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this teaching has changed my life. I see within my walk with God every one of them spirits that has hindered me or, or stopped me or, or caused me to stop me in my tracks for going on with Jesus. And I know this spirit is real. And that's why I'm, I'm telling you, don't, don't just let this pass you by this morning. Take notes. Take photographs. Listen to it. Listen to what the Bible's teaching us. And you will see this spirit in your life. And then you'll be able just to shake it off. The Jebusite spirit this is to do with allegiance. This is to do with allegiance. The last enemy mentioned is the Jebusites. Now, the last enemy, there's something in it. Why is this one highlighted? Why is it the last? 
perhaps it's the most important. Last enemy mentioned is the Jebusites. And the word Jebusite means thrasher. Um, it's broken down into different words to trod down with the feet, to trample, or to put your foot on the neck. You get the idea? Put the foot on the neck. You imagine an enemy doing that to you spiritually. Foot on your neck. You see? This is a real thing. This spirit, perhaps the worst spirit, seeks to stop the church from growing um, in its faith. If you wonder why you've wrestled to go deeper with God from when you first got saved, it's because of this boyo. It puts people down. Many people I heard saying that they, they can't understand the Bible, and the Bible is not straightforward reading, I admit, but there's enough books in that Bible, enough truth that we can easily read. The book of James, perhaps the most simple, topical, informative book in the Bible, any believer can read enough truth in that. The Gospels. But listen, there's a mindset, okay? This spirit puts people down. It discourages the church. It's got a great, what I liken to this, I've seen it in people, it's got a great habit of taking, you know, all the good and pull the bad from it. That's what this spirit does. It, it, it looks past all the good and pulls the bad out and shows it up. These spirits aim to cause the church to lose heart and to stop going on with Christ. Now, there's an even deeper meaning to this Jebusite spirit. Now, this is important. Now, now, listen, please. This is the last bit. We're nearly finished. The Jebusites, they lingered in around Jerusalem. I, I see this now. And according to the word of God in Joshua 15 and Judges 19, Jerusalem was once called the city of, of, of Jebus, or Jabud, whatever you want to pronounce it. And it was called this after the Jebusites. What this tells us is that the Jebusites lived in this city before King David conquered it. Jerusalem once belonged to them. Right? Now, take that with you. David then took it over. It was God gave it to them, and he made it Israel's capital. And the rule of God was now there, the center place. Now, what this tells us is that the Jebusites, they still desired to rule in Jerusalem. They lingered there. They'd lost their place. They were cast out. They were sacked. God had now taken a hold of this holy city. But they still desired power. They still desired to control, you see, where this is going. Where God's rule was now established, this Jebusite spirit, the Jebusite still wanted to hold on and control and have authority. So what does that tell us? It reminds us that Satan is our enemy, that he desires to rule our holy city where God's rule is now established. It's why we need to rebuild and, and, and strengthen the walls around our life and keep that, that Perizzite spirit out because it seeks to enter through them broken worlds. It reminds us that Satan desires to sit enthroned on the heart of all believers still. He's not that happy, you know, that you're saved. He's not that happy. He wants to be enthroned in the people of God's heart that he can cause them to serve him and therefore not serve God. The, the Jebusites remind us that we're being hunted. This spirit's name reminds us that there's a battle for our heart, that there's a battle for our allegiance. Church, I want to stop preaching, and I want to start talking to you a bit this morning. Think about your life for a moment. What is it, or who has your heart? 
Think about that question. What has your heart? Who has your heart? Is Jesus Christ sitting enthroned upon our hearts? Is he the Lord of our life? It's a, it's a, it's a question that we must ask ourselves as a people of God. Or has this Jebusite spirit been leading us astray one day at a time? You don't backside overnight, you know. It starts off really, really slowly. One wee bad habit. One wee lack of, you know, spiritual disciplines. The daily devotion becomes a weekly devotion till a monthly devotion till whenever. And I'm sorry if this is a, it's poking at you this morning, but that's the word of God. That's what it does to us. Because the enemy is around us and it seeks to influence us. And we need to be poked, as it were, by the spirit. The Jebusite spirit leading us away from the Lord. Paul, speaking into the church in, in Ephesus, says, Do not give the devil a foothold. What does he mean if we're saved and we're born again and there's no enemy to attack or hinder our walk with God? Do not give the enemy a foothold. Why? Because he seeks to rule you and to cause you to, to go down a path that God never called you to go down. He wants to sit in that place in my life that belongs to God now. The holy city. How's your heart? Paul's speaking about the common spirit of Antichrist, which is a natural man who will be Satan's minister, if you like, a man like myself, preaching on behalf of Satan. If you like, that's what it's going to be. False prophet. And listen to what he does in, in, in Second Thessalonians. This is this spirit at work in the world today, it says. But it's going to manifest itself in a natural leader. But it says this spirit is at work in the world. And listen to what it says when he comes. He will oppose and exalt himself above all and everything that's so-called of God or an object of worship. That means every religion will be trampled down, including, including the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will seat himself Listen, in the temple of God, the third temple that's yet to be built, but listen, he will seat himself in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. He wants to rule where God now rules. You see? Does that make sense? Now, Scripture tells us that the church is indeed the temple of God. We're the third temple in many ways. There's a physical third temple going to be built, but we're actually the third temple. We're the third temple. When the Holy Spirit came, we became the temple of God. So, in actual fact, the Scripture is teaching that we are a third temple of God. But there's an actual third temple that's going to be built for Israel when God deals with Israel at the end of the church age. But we are the temple of God. And this Spirit, when it comes, is going to take a seat in that third temple and it's going to claim to be God, set himself above God. And there's a Spirit at work today that seeks to get into this heart and declare himself to be God. And he's no place. Amen? Because Christ belongs here. But we need to understand that there's a spirit. And here's the thing. And with that, we'll come to an end. The most important leadership tool that you own is not something you're going to get at college. The most important leadership tool you possess is your heart. Why? Because whatever and whoever controls your heart controls you. It's the seat and the center of, of leadership comes from this heart. Whatever gets in on it will lead it and guide it. May it be the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Enthroned here and lifted up here. May our allegiance be to him that we know the path that we're going down is of him. 
And if we're on a path that we've been led astray, Christian, listen, God's not condemning you. He's calling you. Come back. The enemy's like the prodigal. The enemy's got into your head. The enemy got into the prodigal's heart. He started making foolish decisions. He didn't realize the blessings that was in his father's house. And he thought, you know something? I'll run out here. I'll find my purpose here. I, I'll, I'll be all right. It nearly killed the man. The Jebusite spirit wants to be enthroned in your heart. I'll ask the team just to come and um, please with us. And I trust that them bits of teaching has been of value to you. And I'll maybe get them uh, printed out and, and, and break them down quite simply that you can have them and have them in your Bible. And you can just see them spirits at work in your life. Amen. You know, there's something interesting. Um, John Newton, um, 18th century pastor and hymn writer. And, and, I, and we look back at these men and, and women of God and we think, boy, they, they did great things for God. And it must have been so easy for them. But for me, it's, I just find it a wee bit you know, difficult. And how they advanced for the kingdom of God and they did great things for God. And how it's so hard for us, isn't it? And we set them on a wee pedestal and and John Newton uh, wrote a letter to one of his friends, and it's on display, actually, uh, in one of the museums. But this is what it says. So he wrote this to his friend. He says, the life of faith seems so simple and easy in theory. He says, I can point it to others in a few words. No problem to him. Great preacher, great, great man with words, written much poetry and, and hymns. No, no problem telling you. Um, what the Christian life is. Then he says, uh, but my advances are, are slow. I can hardly dare say that I've moved forward at all. You see, there was a, there was a wrestle. He was being attacked. He, didn't, he couldn't see the advances that he had made. In his mind, there was smallness written all over him. There was this temptation, you know, I, I just feel like I'm going nowhere for God. I just feel like I could just easily hand over the reins of this heart. Understand that uh, I see that in my life. We see that in our lives, and, and and when I consider these teachings, I'm thinking, Lord, what benefit are there to us, really? Because I, I had this idea that a nice, vibrant, uplifting we preach would be just great and set us into the new year. And I just thought to myself, why are we looking at these things? Well, it's like this, but if we want to have a vibrant, lively walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to know the enemy that wants to stop you having a vibrant life of fruit and seeing your family saved and seeing yourself go deeper with Jesus and seeing your children go on for the Lord because they receive something in you that, that they want, you know? Many testimonies I've heard that one of the biggest turnoffs for Christianity is how some people's family acted, mums and dads. Imagine that if we just had a, a vibrant, uplifting, catchy wee sermon this morning that just keep on going, it's grand, but, but no real teaching into what it is to be attacked. That we didn't understand that John Newton, this great man whose, whose songs are still being sung today, wrestled with that smallness, with that, the, that place of allegiance in his own heart. He understood there was a battle for his heart and you understand that but understand there was also a battle for his allegiance 
and regardless, when I look at Newton's life, there's one thing I can say, is I don't know much about the man. All I know is that God brought him through. And that means he'll bring you through. That means he'll bring me through. When we're lying, perhaps absolutely broken me at times in our life, we think, it's just, God, I don't even want you to rule anymore because you haven't done a good job. Do you ever think like that? But he will bring you through. But church, how's your heart this morning as we go into this year? Because if we get our hearts right, and he's there, honestly, it'll be a year of faith and a year of courage for you. And you know what I thought about the heart? <laughs> the heart's really deceitful. And the jab you take spirit's really deceitful. So you put them both together and mix them up. And you've got a real problem because we can't discern this heart. And that reminded me of the psalmist. He didn't say, I'm going to search my heart because he knew it was wicked. He says, Lord, search me. Oh God, search me. Search my heart and know my ways. Test me and know my thoughts. Point out to me that which offends you. He knew the danger of the heart. He knew the danger of the Jebusite spirit, that it could be in there ruling, he mightn't even see it. And then he says, lead me along the path to everlasting life. D.L. Moody said, oh, that God would search us and bring out the hidden things, the secret things, and cluster, that cluster there and bring them to light that we could be free. See, that's what it's all about. When the enemy gets us to this place, it's just about bondage, 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 where the Lord says, look, come, confess your sin and what happens, you're free. But repent, ask them to save you, what happens? He takes away your sin and he saves you. But the rebellious man says, I don't need to repent. I don't need God. The rebellious spirit says, I don't need to be saved. But the man that knows God says, actually, I'm a great sinner. And boy, do I need a great savior. Thank God I have one. Amen.